0: or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. On Good Authority has had over a million downloads, regularly appears on the top 100 career podcast list, and has been named one of the best publishing podcasts by LA Weekly and Kindlepreneur. Please welcome OG Authority host, New York Times best-selling author, Anna David. There are people who launch books end up just having a nice thing to put on their shelves. Then there are people who launch books that transform their careers and their lives. As a former member of the first group, I strongly urge you to be part of the second. In this show, I talk to entrepreneurs and authors about how to intentionally launch the book that will serve as the best business card and marketing tool you've ever had. Get ready for takeoff. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast that has run out of ideas about how to describe itself, but does know that it refers to itself as a person, this podcast, and it focuses on how to build, um, how to launch a book that will build your business and your authority. And if you like it, you'll love my book. It's called On Good Authority, similar name. In fact, the same name as this podcast. You'll also love my book to business course, You can get both by going to ongoodauthoritypod.com. You know what else you can get there? You can get the show notes, links to the show notes for this episode, which happens to be an interview with an exquisite writer named Ed Cressy. Now, Ed's book, My Addiction and Recovery, is about, it is the most visceral depiction of meth psychosis you will ever ever read i couldn't put it down and i am cynical about addiction recovery memoirs having read about 860 of them whoa this one really blew my mind what i talked to ed about in addition to telling him how amazing this book is is how in hell the hell did he get seth godin to blurb it now how does seth godin how does a guy recovering from meth addiction in the bay area know seth godin and, and and how to get him to blurb it, and, and and why did he do this book, and how did he do this book, and so much more. So uh, with that, I give you my interview with Ed Cressy. Thank you, Ed, for doing this.
1: Thank you, and it's my pleasure to be here.
0: I'm excited, and, and this is an unusual situation because I will tell you, I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, hey Anna, here's my book. And um, their books are not good. And so that is, I and I hate to say this to anybody who wants to send me a book, but that is the experience. Um, oftentimes, and it's not because they're not brilliant people, it's just that they don't have I think the difference between a a great writer and a mediocre writer is not just talent, but experience. Like have you put in your 10,000 hours and do you write every day all all day? I'm going to guess you, even in your crazy years, you've been writing a very long time.
1: I packed a lot of writing into the past 14 years. I've been, uh, I've been in recovery for 14 years. My dream since I was a little kid was to be a writer. I, su- I derailed my dream through, uh, through a lot of uh, drug addicts through, through 20 years of drug addiction. Yet when I got into recovery in 2007, Anna, you are exactly right. I put in many, many hours, uh, wrote a lot of words, and uh, your, your kind words mean so much to me. You uh, and your work have been a major positive influence on my writing career and my recovery. So I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to be here to talk to you.
0: That means so much because, Ed, I am not blowing smoke. You're one of the best writers I've ever read. And let me tell you how little I expected that from. OK, so here's here's you know, I was doing these uh, these sessions for Mobilize for Ryan Hampton's, um, you know, for the, the sessions before the actual event. And you showed up. I think you were at all of them. You were definitely at two of them. Yes. Um And you were smiling. And you know, for anybody who does anybody who wants to get somebody's attention, never underestimate how much showing up and being fantastic people notice. So I noticed that. I believe you asked a question. I'm not, I don't even actually remember that part, but you emailed me afterwards and said that was so great. Thank you so much. So I remembered your name. And then when I went to do the signing at the event, what you did is you were the very last person in line and you came up and you said, you know, I- I'm Ed, we met over the internet or whatever. And, and this is my book and I've signed it for you, which very much got my attention as well. And I, I, and I just, you know, Ryan and I have talked about this, your kindness just emanates from you. You just scream somebody uh, that I, I want to help in any way I can. So then, sorry, I'm making this all about me. I go back to my room and the next day I'm packing and I very callously am like, I don't really have room for this book. Oh, well, you know, who knows? And then I'm like, no, he was so great. And I, and I told you this, I do not think the cover and the title do justice at all. So, so, and, and this is why it's really important to, to, to get that stuff right. Cause I almost left this magnificent book in Vegas. So I take it back and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll read this. You know, you're so sweet. And I just was blown away from the first two pages. So anybody uh, it's called my addiction and recovery in law, as long as I don't talk Ed out of changing the title, that is what it's called. Is it, it's available everywhere or not, not just Amazon, where can people get it?
1: It's available where books are sold. Yes. I think most people get it through Amazon.
0: And the other thing is that your story is Frickin intense, and for me to say that after twenty-one years of meetings means a lot. Um, it's not that I've never heard a story that bad, but it's intense. So, so let's tell people what your addiction was like.
1: My addiction. well, And first, thank you. I can't thank you enough for your very kind words. It's uh, inc- incredibly high praise coming coming from you. Thank you. As far as uh, as far as what my addiction was like, I I grew up in uh, in very much idyllic settings in Massachusetts. Had most of uh, what a kid could want provided to me. Like I mentioned before, my childhood dream was to be an author. I always loved the escape into fantasy worlds that books provided. It was like a, a caricature because I would, as a little kid, I would go to the library carry home stacks of books almost too high to see over, <laughs> right? So I wanted to be a writer, but I wanted to be the kind of writer where there was a Manhattan bookstore with a line of autograph seekers stretching around the corner and sitting next to me was Fred Easton Ellis and uh, Tama Janowitz on the other side of me. And then I wanted to, after that, go up to a hotel suite and shoot heroin with fashion models in a waterbed the size of a boxing ring. You know, that, that, was, my, that was what I wanted from, from a writing uh, career. I derailed my aspirations and my dream to be a writer through 20 years of devastating addiction to cocaine, alcohol, ecstasy, final for, finally for 11 years, methamphetamine. I threw away a college career I threw away a professional career with uh, in biotech. I'd worked for Stanford University at one point. I'd owned a home. I had a beautiful dog, many loving relationships. Ended up throwing all that away, spending years in psychosis, destitution, incarceration, brief periods in homeless shelters. My life was about Hearing disembodied voices that had been, I believe, sent by the FBI because I was at the epicenter of a vast 9-11 conspiracy because I'd inadvertently befriended one of the hijackers when I was in Bangkok. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The point is, Anna, I took a lot of good opportunities in life, threw all of them away, never pursued my dream of being an author until fortunately in 2007, thanks to God thanks to remarkable women and men who inspired me and showed me a path to recovery. In 2007, I got clean, pursued my dream of being a writer and ultimately uh, was able to launch my book in April, 2020.
0: Um, Yeah. So, so let's talk about the psychosis because what's amazing about it is it's portrayed so well in the book and what you portray it in a way where it's rare. I think that somebody can, can talk about, uh, describe scenarios as if they're happening when they're not because you are the person writing it. I'm not articulating this well, but this was you, you know, and and I think people talk about drugs and they're like, yeah, it's crazy. I was hearing voices. I thought the cops were outside, whatever. This was years and years of these voices ruling your existence and you going and reporting this craziness to Two people and really just, you you believed this every second of every day, right?
1: Absolutely, it was, the, the thing about psychosis is that when we're in psychosis, we don't think we're hearing voices. We are hearing those voices. We don't think there might be a conspiracy. We believe that there are conspiracies against us. I used to tear apart my electronics looking for hidden cameras and surveillance devices. I would smash holes in my drywall looking for uh, people spying on me. There were invisible planes following me, people stalking me, searching my my trash cans outside of my home. This was incredibly real to me. It was, uh, it lasted for, and like you say, I would show up at the FBI offices, high on meth, submitting documentation, You know, dear FBI, please stop following me. Please end the conspiracy. I want to, I was asking for help. And it just, it it was so, I I immersed myself in the psychosis, it sort of had a purpose. If you think back to my, my childhood, or when I think back to my childhood, that kid coming out of the library with the stacks of books who was a bullied kid who felt ostracized the way I felt, the escape into a fantasy world that the books provided and later that my, psych- my psychosis provided it, it had what to me in a twisted way was a legitimate purpose. My psychosis and the accompanying drug addiction, they allowed me to, to live that life in which no longer was I a person who failed at my dream of becoming an author. No longer was I simply a person who allowed myself to sink into addiction and destitution. Now, all of a sudden in my mind, Wow, I'm Ed, I'm at the center of this vast FBI, CIA conspiracy that, uh, you know, that uh, I I hold the secret to uh, the 9-11, whatever. So the psychosis transformed me into this twistedly heroic person in my mind, in my mind. And that's why the psychosis and the addiction was so hard to break for so long.
0: So let's talk about, so, so you'd always wanted to be a writer. You start writing this book. How did you, and Jesse Krieger was a guest on this podcast, and so you worked with his company. How did that all come about?
1: That came about through hours and hours and hours of a lot of work. I wrote thousands of pages. I'd written several books before the the book that you and I are talking about now. I wrote screenplays. I wrote short stories. I wrote articles. Almost none of it will anybody ever read. (laughs) uh, No one will read almost all of what I wrote. The point is, through this incredibly hard work, through spending all these hours writing, I got to a point where I felt confident enough in my own work that it could bring value to an audience. I thought back to the remarkable women and men who inspired me through their writing. And I know you and I have talked about this, but when I got, uh, when I first got clean, your book with Tom Sizemore had just come out. And Tom Sizemore, for those who don't know, is a a very, uh, very successful actor who sunk into meth addiction and incarceration, uh, similar to to me and similar to many others. Your book and uh, and Tom's story inspired me that, hey, maybe my own story could help other people the way you and Tom told his story and helped me. I read uh, Mary Carr, who Anna, I know you're familiar with. I read um, read Elizabeth Wurzel, who unfortunately is no longer with us. I read William Colt Moyers, uh, just you know, so many authors who put their stories down on paper and who inspired me to turn my own life around, mm-hmm. to overcome addiction, to overcome my fear, to uh, to overcome my mental health challenges, and I, and I just wanted so much to to give at least some small part, uh, to, or to to play at least some small role in helping others the way so many others helped me, and that's how I was able to develop the fortitude and the discipline and the courage to put my story down into a book.
0: Yeah. And that's what I tell people in a way, if you have survived anything and come out on the other side, you actually owe it. If you read a book when you were struggling that helped you and you have an inkling that you want to write your story, you owe it to pay it forward. And I, it's it's funny. No one has ever they, they, people talk to me about books that that I've written that did that. No one's ever come up to me and said it was the Tom Sizemore book, which is interesting because that was just such a hellish experience to write. I mean, my word. And um, I'm very grateful it was a New York Times bestseller. I'm grateful that it inspired you, but I could I would I would wish that experience on a nobody. Um, and but. So, so you write this book. In a sense, it takes over a decade. Yes.
1: That, that's fair to say. I wrote 26 drafts of this book. <laughs> not, not every draft is beginning to end. Some of them where I would just go through a draft and, and make changes. But 26 drafts. I wish, I wish and I had had your memoir uh, cheat sheet back yeah. before I started. I would have maybe written you know, only 13 or 10 drafts. But uh, it's, you know, it's so important when you when you t- I'm sorry about the struggle uh, and the experience of writing Tom Sizemore's book. I would venture to say, Anna, that even back then at somewhere you knew there was an Ed Cressy out there and that your work in, in the struggles you went through to, to tell Tom's story, and to write your book, you, you knew at some level it was going to help someone like me which it, it did. It very much did. And, and you, among uh, many others, inspired me to tell my story, which goes out and helps incarcerated people, which goes out and helps family members. My story helps uh, other people struggling with addiction. So to anyone listening, the, the writing process is, is very, very difficult. What's that famous quote about how you know, it's a tongue-in-cheek quote. It's, more well, tongue-in-cheek's maybe not to write. But the quote is, you know, writing is easy. All you do is sit in front of the keyboard and plead.
0: Plead, yeah.
1: Right? You open your veins. and uh, So writing's a, a very difficult process. If we don't have some higher purpose, if we don't have some higher calling, if we're not being in service to others or, or at least in service to ourselves to overcome fear and, and improve ourselves or have that spiritual connection, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to really achieve our dreams. As as, you know, we were talking about just a few minutes ago when I was into, you know, fashion, when, when I was writing because I wanted to meet fashion models and meet, you know, Brett Easton Ellis and and the rest of it, I, I never even came close to pursuing my dream, much less achieving it. Yet when I began writing to be in service to others, That's when I could pursue my dream. That's when I could put forth the discipline and the perseverance. And that's, I think, so important to anyone who sets out to achieve any kind of dream. You know, when we're we're pursuing our dream, we're we're asking the universe to make our dreams come true. The universe is asking us, well, okay, so, you know, what are you going to do? What what are you going to do for it? And, And for many of us, Anna, your experience with the Tom Sizemore book, my experience writing my book, Probably anyone who's ever written a book or, or pursued uh, pursued a, a process of, of making a dream come true understands, you know, we, we got to have that perseverance. We got to have that discipline. And that comes from being of service to others.
0: Not to be a contrarian and not to be so annoying, but I don't find writing a book difficult at all. I to me it is my pleasure it is my release it is my treat to myself and i get that that's unusual But it's like i find remembering an address anything to do with numbers incredibly difficult so we all have what what we so so if anybody's like well i'm writing and it's not that it's not the process he's describing it's different for all of us it really really is writing the tom sizemore book was difficult because he was so incredibly abusive but the actual putting the words on paper, I, I love it. So so that that's just my experience. So it's so obnoxious that I said that, but it's true. So And so you went and you researched, how can I do this? You didn't choose to put it out yourself. And yet you didn't choose to seek uh, traditional publishing. So tell me about that.
1: I, I, uh, I, I hired an editor. I had a great editor, which I would recommend to, to anyone seriously. The, the editor made my book a, a lot better than it would have been otherwise. I looked into the differences between traditional publishing, uh, self publishing, and what I believe we think of as hybrid publishing, which is what Jesse Krieger does and ultimately what I went with. I, I thought that, you know, I, I looked back or I, I thought about how I wanted to look back upon my life. What do I want to have looked what do i want to look back upon and it will be having achieved my dream or at least having tried as as hard as i can to achieve my dream that's why i was that, that's why i put forth the effort and that's why i spent the money that's why i pursued working with uh, a publisher to to really make my book as good as it can be to make my book as much in service as it can be the process was it, it was one of really forsaking working as an individual, which is what I, I like to do. I like to be that individual up before dawn with my cup of strong coffee, putting the words on a page, shifting from that to working as part of a team. My publisher and I, my publisher, the, the people that work within my publishing group and I, and the editors and uh, the persons who I donate my book to, now it's, it's, I'm part of a team. Yeah. For me, it was a train because I, I had so much ownership around my book and the 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 fear I overcame to write my book. It was a process of really letting go of some of of a lot of what I thought my book should be and what I wanted my career to be, so that the book could ultimately help more people and and let's face it, be a much better book.
0: Yes, and I think that's crucial for anybody listening. Malcolm Gladwell has has an editor. Mary Carr has an editor. Uh, we, you, you can't not have one. And I do think a team is going to do a much better job. It is an absolute pain in the ass to publish a book. It, you know, the moving parts and to do it right. And to get all the different parts, right. And, and even then you don't get all the different parts, right. I just re-released party girl. I didn't get all the different parts, right. Cause you learn every time. So at least go to go get help from people who have had the experience of learning every time, multiple times. So, so you decided you were going to, you donate all the proceeds to prisons, right?
1: I donate hundred percent of the proceeds. Uh, What happened was it's so important to have a plan for a book launch. This is what I learned because I didn't have a plan. I had a very limited plan. And looking back, I I wish I had put a, a, a more, a solid plan in place what happened with me was that I'd spent about five years working for organizations that serve incarcerated persons and persons who are have been released from incarceration. The organizations I was a part of mostly uh, mostly trained entrepreneurism and employment skills for people who are or were incarcerated. I spent a chunk of time going into maximum security prisons in California, being a volunteer coach. One of those prisons was Pelican Bay, which is considered the. Th- this is a, Pelican Bay houses men who are, have been labeled by society as being among the very worst of the very worst. These are men who've been convicted of violent crimes, murder in many cases, who are affiliated with street gangs and prison gangs. Yet, Anna, the men I've worked with, the men who applied themselves, even though they're in maximum security prisons, they're dedicating themselves to life transformations, to life turnarounds. These men are some of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And this applies to the women I've worked with in San Francisco County Jail when I served as a volunteer there. How it ended up tying into my book launch was uh, in April 2020, when my book launched, we were just at the beginning point of the pandemic. The prisons were on lockdown. A lot of the correctional facilities were on lockdown. I had just volunteered in Pelican Bay, I think in February of 2020. I thought, you know what? It would be a nice thing to donate some copies of my book to the men I worked with in Pelican Bay. We made photocopies. They wouldn't even allow the, the regular paperback copy because of uh, prison regulations. We ended up making photocopies of I think about hundred books sent them to Pelican Bay, the feeling was so amazing. The feeling of having done something to help these incarcerated men the way they helped me by sharing their stories with me, by allowing me to be their coach. That feeling got me to a point where, and I don't even try to sell my book anymore. I'm not even putting it out there to the quote unquote regular reading audience. My almost my entire focus is on donating my books to correctional facilities. Our goal is to get a book into every correctional facility in the United States. We are in, I think, 110 facilities in nine or 10 states. My book's been approved at the state level in California, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts. I think we're serving 130,000 incarcerated persons.
0: That's amazing. Meaning.
1: It is. And it's, in no way does it say that Ed Cressy's is some great person. Far from it. You know, I, I, When I look back, and one of the remarkable things these incarcerated persons taught me is that had I not been born with the unfair advantages that society hands a privileged white male, like me, let's face it, I mean, this is my own lived experience. I got unfair advantages from being a privileged white male. Had that not been the case, and I would be in Pelican Bay right now, and not as a volunteer, or someplace like it. Although these things sound obvious to say, my lived experience is such that these are, as silly as it sounds, these are sort of revelations to me about the unfair advantage that society gave me. All of this kind of conspired to point my life at, or or to convince me that my life's direction has gotta be not on selling my book to the public, but on getting it behind the walls of prisons, and jails, so that our sisters and brothers who are incarcerated and dedicated to turning their own lives around, they can have my book as at least some small resource in addition to the other resources that are out there, so that the they can have the same advantages that someone like me has, or at least as close to it as possible.
0: Well, here's the thing. I I guess that's obvious, but point oh 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 one percent of white privileged males would ever act on that, even if they realized it. So maybe the epiphany is clear, but the action is is so rare that I'm going to say in my 51 years, I've never really seen it. I've never seen it to this level. And I know how genuine you are about it. I find it just genuinely moving. So um, what I would hope is that then, you know, Oprah could hear about it so that Accidentally, and not because it was your goal, it could become the mammoth bestseller. That would just be the pure beauty. But what I can tell is that it's enough for you without that, which is pretty it, incredible.
1: It is. Uh, uh, thank you. It's it's incredible. It's incredible to go from a point of extreme selfishness where I was at, wanting to be a famous, rich author for no other reason than I wanted to sell. That I selfishly wanted uh, the trappings of success. To go from there to being an author who helps people in at least, in what I hope is at least some small way. It's remarkable. It's all in service to God, to the Divine Mother, to that great spirit that I was taught to believe in through the 12 steps and elsewhere, and through, uh, through so many remarkable women and men, again, who put their stories on paper or who told their stories in various fashions. I'm just trying to pass along some, uh, some of the good that was so selflessly passed along to me.
0: So let's talk about, you know, to switch Seth Godin. So Seth Godin, I would imagine anybody listening to this podcast knows who he is. He is, he is like the original marketer. Um, I hear amazing things about him, but being able to get a blurb from him, especially when a lot of people come to me and say, how do I get a blurb from a famous person? How did that happen?
1: Seth Godin is a remarkable man in many respects, To me, what sets him apart even more than the rest of the incredible things he's accomplished in his life is his dedication to serving incarcerated people. Seth was and still is, I believe, a mentor to an incredible woman named Catherine Hoke. Catherine left a successful career in venture capital to serve incarcerated people. Catherine launched a nonprofit and now she's got another organization going. And those, when I mentioned I would volunteer for organizations that serve the incarcerated, it was Catherine Hoke who was really the leader and who is the leader in, in these organizations. Seth mentored Catherine among other, among other forms of support we got people like Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, um, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn. Uh, some others invited Catherine and the five ventures and Seth Godin and a very fortunate group of people, including me to come to their offices. So all of a sudden, here I am What one day, and I should say, you know, I, I had left previously, I left uh, a six figure salary in biotech because I wanted to do something to be of service. The, the people, and again, it's not because I'm a great person It's because of the inspiration passed along to me. Uh, but the point is one day, I find myself in a room with Cheryl Sandberg, Seth Godin, Catherine Hoke, and uh, a number of formerly incarcerated people who, who Cheryl and, and Seth and the others have been so kind to, uh, to, to, to speak with. Uh, soon after that, I was on a van going to, I think, LinkedIn or somewhere to meet uh, the CEO of LinkedIn. Seth Godin was sitting right behind me. I turned around. I said, I fumbled some words, you know, hey, Seth, uh, I wanna write a book, you know, writer, office, something like that. And I don't even remember what Seth said. I, I couldn't tell you one, what, any of the words he said, but Seth kind of implanted an idea in my head. He conveyed a vision. It was almost telepathic. The very next day I started, I got up at four in the morning, and I started writing my book. The, a few years after that, after when my book was about to launch, Catherine Hoke was kind enough to send a, a little video that I recorded for Seth, asking him if he would recommend if he would recommend my book, which which Seth uh, Seth incredibly he went ahead and did that, and now he got I've got the blurb from Seth Godin. Still to this day, Seth allows me to participate in his seminars. I did a, a recent seminar with him where I learned how to better serve the incarcerated population by donating my book. I think for your audience, Anna. It's so important if we're gonna be of service to really immerse ourselves in our service careers. For me, I spent five or or six years in service to incarcerated people. That's how I got to meet Seth Godin. That's how I got to have that conversation with Seth Godin. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily have to dedicate five or six years of your life to getting uh, a single blurb for your book. The point is when, when your heart, when your soul, when your spirit, are aligned towards service to others, then the universe kind of makes things happen for you. For me, what happened was I got that blurb for Seth Godin from Seth Godin, and that really gives me the that gives me confidence. That gives me that euphoric feeling of hey, you know, I can leave that six figure salary job in order to pursue an uncertain path of being in service to incarcerated people, and it is going to fulfill me. It is going to help other people turn their lives around. It's a beautiful, remarkable feeling, and I think what's most remarkable about it is how many women and men are out there who support the same cause and who are along the similar service pathways, some of them being Seth Godin, some of them being Catherine Hoke, and, of course, Hannah, one of them being yourself
0: let's be clear, I'm not going into prison. I'm not donating my book sales to that. That is inc- I didn't know that about Seth Godin. I didn't know that about Sheryl Sandberg. And especially when Facebook is you know, thought of as the ultimate evil, that's pretty incredible. Um, so what is next for you? What is your next book? Tell us about, I mean, I understand your life is about service, but what's your next book? Because I'm eagerly anticipating it.
1: I I've, Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, uh, the, the, there's still so much left to do with this book that I don't think too much of what a next book might be. Some of it, uh, part of me, I, I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit mm-hmm. so that, you know, there's a lot of uh, amazing nonprofits out there that donate books to prisons. They can, you know, my nonprofit might focus on books written by formerly incarcerated people or currently incarcerated people because it's, uh, it's great to send books into prison. I think what can be uh, meaningful on a different level is that idea of when you, uh, if you can see it, you can be it. Yep. Right. If, if you can see it, you can be it. Meaning when an incarcerated person gets a book who, written by someone who was incarcerated, it's that much easier to, uh, to get inspired by that book. So I'm looking at possibly starting a nonprofit. Certainly I've got a, a long ways to go before Reaching the goal of my book into every correctional facility, we're reaching right now. I think we're reaching about six percent when you run the numbers, uh, rough calculations. We're reaching about six percent of the incarcerated population with my book. So there's a long ways to go there. Possibly compiling a uh, a like a, a compilation of short stories or essays by incarcerated people into a book, you know, and it's, it's so many ideas that, that bounce around in one's head that uh, I, I'm in a, a good place where there's a lot of support for the work I'm doing, that there are people who mentor me and guide me. I think for now, the, the future is just really achieving this goal, getting my book into all the correctional facilities.
0: Well, I will say your talent is such that you do owe it to the world to write another book, or to use your writing, you know, because ultimately writing talent comes from God anyway. This is what I've been thinking about lately is it's, it's, and Elizabeth Gilbert has this great Ted talk about, about how it comes from God or high power, whatever word makes people comfortable, but it's up to you to act on it. And this is, this is for everyone. So it's, it's almost like I don't know that we should bow down at talent so much as we should bow down at the ability to get that talent out into the world now, but you're doing really important work with this. And I will say, um, what I know is that it's not that hard to start a nonprofit. I have told you this, but I think you should do it on your own. I think you should start your own. I will happily donate money and books to it. And I think a lot of people would feel that way. So that's, that's my advice for you.
1: Thank you. Thank Take you it. so much. It's, that's wonderful advice. And, and when you say that you're not going to donate books to prison or you're not going to go in prison, I, I would argue that, that you actually are doing that already because, you know, the goodwill you through your career and now are putting forth and have put forth, you know, you are creating ripple effects that influence me. And then I go out there and I go to prisons and I do that. So, you know, you're part of this. uh, Yeah, you're part of this cycle of uh, of, and it's all about life transformations. And I guess it's important to say that we don't uh, by any means condone uh, the actions taken by people who, like me, hurt others through our poor choices. We're not condoning the mistakes that people made that landed them in prison. We're we're not condoning victimization. not, Not by any means. What we're supporting is that dedication to life transformations to, for a person like me or like others to say, Hey, I made mistakes. I did. I hurt people yet. I'm going to take what the lessons life has taught me. I'm going to turn my life around and going forward, I'm going to do something good. That That's what we support.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, um, and you're inspiring me to, to get involved. And again, I'm not saying I'm, I'm selfless enough to go in there, but I am saying I would happily donate books, and um, and that's a lot for us. You know, I'll be honest. My career did not. My, I did write Party Girl because I thought if I can save one person from feeling the way that I felt, then I will have done good. I think I then got trapped in the in the publishing uh Rat race of sorts, and absolutely forgot about being of service. And I think I'm getting back there again, which feels really, really good. So it's amazing that you've been there from the beginning and stayed there. Um, So that's pretty much it uh, for me. Is there anything else I didn't ask you that you want to share?
1: I I would only encourage you if if you're you being the audience, if you're listening to this show, if your dream is to to be uh, an author or to serve people through telling your story, follow your dreams. Take the, whether you're like Anna and it's a, uh, it's a fun, pleasurable, or maybe fun's not the word, but whether it's uh, euphoric, it sounds like euphoric, Anna, the, is that the right word? The writing process for you? I yeah. Fun. fun, fun, euphoric, or whether you're more like me and it's a struggle to overcome fear and self doubt. If your dream is to be a writer, uh, follow the great spirit, follow the, the divine mother, you know, have a, whatever form of God or the universe you choose to believe in if you even choose to believe in uh in spirituality whatever it may be you know roll that into following your dreams you can do it if uh, ed cressy did it if uh, others can do it you can do it too i believe in you
0: and please get this book i cannot i cannot recommend it enough i will have link a link to it in the show notes but ed if people want to find you where can they do that online?
1: You, the best thing is to just uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, you can just go on. My my name's unique enough. E uh, Ed Kressy K R E S S Y, or you'll see it in the show notes. Yeah, find me on Facebook, uh, and uh, you know, send me uh, send me a message if uh, I can help you in any way. Certainly, if you or someone you know or love is struggling with addiction, and I can help, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I will. Uh, I'll do the best I can to help you.
0: And give give his book to whomever that is. Thank um. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, to you guys, for listening. I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now, a request from me. If you've ever used any of the tips or techniques you've heard about from the show, please take a few seconds to give the show a rating or review and find out all about how my company, Legacy Launchpad, writes and launches books at www.legacylaunchpadpub.com. See you next week.